Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Runners Only with Dom Harvey, brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Sarah Gearhart. I had a marker in my hand and Elliot, <laughs> he saw the marker. He was like, give me that. And he takes it and he opens the book and he signs it. He, I didn't even ask him. He just signed it. And it was, <laughs> is, yeah. that, is that what you wanted? You wanted him to sign it? I mean, I suppose you... I would have asked him, but like, I, I didn't, I mean... I was happy that he was excited. <laughs> Sarah Gearhart is a New York-based sports writer and now author. You name the organization, she's probably written for it. USA Today, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, ESPN, Runner's World, Vice Sport. The list goes on and on. In April 2023, she published her first book, We Share the Sun, the incredible journey of Kenya's legendary running coach Patrick Sang and the fastest runners on earth. I met Sarah in Boston during the 2023 Marathon Weekend, and we sat down for this podcast conversation about her experience writing this book, including how she convinced the notoriously private Patrick Sang to take part in it, the many, many months she spent in Kenya, and her observations and experiences with the greatest marathon runner of all time, Elliot Kipchoge, and of course his coach who the book's about, Patrick Sang. Full disclosure here, I am a sucker for a running book. I've read just about every single one imaginable, and I've even written one myself, Running a Love Story. Don't Google it, you probably can't buy it online, and it's average anyway. This book, Hand on Heart, is my new favorite running book. Another disclosure, I am an Elliot Kipchoge fanboy, but this is so much more than just a book about running or the guy behind the guy. Whether or not you end up buying or reading the book, I do hope you enjoy the conversation with the very lovely and the very talented Sarah Gearhart. Thank you very much to Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. Even before they jumped on board as a sponsor, I was a fan of their products. Now their protein powder is part of my daily plan. Every morning, without fail, weekends included, wherever I am, I have a shake. But they are so much more than just protein and smoothie powder. Check out their website to learn more about this Kiwi company doing very special things in the nutrition realm radix.co.nz that's r-a-d-i-x all right let's get into it sarah gearhart on runners only with dom harvey hey runners only yeah, yeah let's get it started hey, hey this is runners only with dom harvey uh, fast paced slow and steady anywhere you coming just want to connect for everyone who loves running this is runners only yeah, yeah let's get it started hey, hey this is Runners Only with Dime Harvey. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, any way you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dime Harvey. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Sarah Gearhart. G'day, mate. Hello, how are you? I am fantastic. Sarah Gearhart, author of a brand new book, We Share the Sun, which um, I'm maybe about uh, 20% of the way through. And I think it's... um. On track to being my favourite running book of all time. <laughs> it's, amazing to hear. it's too early to call, so don't get your hopes up. Well, uh, but we're looking good. I'll say that you'll really like the ending. I love the way that the book ends. Mm. And I remember, so it's a scene that I witnessed in May 2021. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's going in the book. I don't know where. Um, but I ended up using it as the ending, and it's really beautiful and poetic is it something to do with um kipchoge or <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes lucky guess yeah yeah, <laughs> Just yeah, a hunch. yeah 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 so so this book we share the sun it's um would you call it like a biography is it the coach sang patrick sang is it his biography yeah so really it's uh, in a nutshell it's about coach sang's life and journey as told through an olympic season so as his athletes are preparing for the tokyo olympics so i've report through the tokyo Tokyo Olympics through the um, the fall 2021 racing season. So it's really um, his words and um, through the lens of his athletes as well. 
Yeah. You end up with um, unprecedented access. Uh, uh, yeah. Like no one knows what goes on in those camps. Mm. Elliot Kipchoge, like he's getting a name for himself outside of outside of running circles, which is almost unheard of, I think, in di- you know, distance running. Um, but no, yeah, not many people would be able to tell you the coach's name outside of running circles, I don't think. And it's nice that you've given this guy the what the son that he deserves. That's true. Yeah. And so, well, I have a story as to how the book even came about. Um, which you heard the other day yeah, during the presentation, yeah. but I'll, I'll share it with your Yeah, by the way, this, this presentation, this was like a library lecture you were doing, and mm-hmm. um, I went there to, to, to watch you, knowing that we had this podcast coming up. And um, old mate walked in and sat down behind me, Coach <laughs> Sang. There he was, right there. How cool is that? Hey, um, yeah. How, so, how did, so you're the author of the book. The, the, the job with um, Coach Singh is done and dusted. You're sitting there doing this lecture, and he walks in. Uh, does your heart skip a beat? No. Are you, I, are you flattered? Are you? I asked him. Yeah. He didn't have to come though. A couple of days before come. the marathon. Of course. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, everyone wants time with him. So it really meant a lot that he could carve out space in his really, really busy schedule to come. Yeah, that certainly meant a lot. Um, Okay, so how the book came to be, I wrote a story for Runner's World in 2019 about a man named Gordy Ainsley who ran, he was the first man to run the Western States 100. And that story was for Runner's World magazine. And a year later, it had caught the attention of a literary agent in New York who he reached out to me and he asked if I wanted to turn that into a book. And to be honest, um, trail running really isn't like my great passion. Um, Not that there is not space for that somewhere. Um, But, you know, a book is a huge investment of your time. Um, And so if I'm going to write a book, then obviously I want it to be something that I feel genuinely passionate about. And um, so I declined that idea and I presented other ideas. I was thinking about Patrick saying, and I didn't know him before all of this. So like Did you, I, so you, you, I mean, you're a runner yourself. You've run heaps of marathons. Oh, yeah. Um, so so you, you must be a fan of um, Kipchoge. Of course. Um, but did you know, did you know, because I didn't know Patrick Sang either. Yeah, I didn't. No. That's a thing. Surprisingly, I had never um, interviewed him before, and I had never met him at any of these races that I've been to. Um, is, that, is that just by design on his part? Uh, he just doesn't doesn't want any of the attention or any of the so glory? He did tell me multiple times that he doesn't really talk to media and that they try to interview him, but he always says no. So Why is that? Is it a shyness thing? Or he thinks I don't know that, if it's shy. I mean, maybe reserved or just not wanting to be in the spotlight. But he did tell me, you know, he said, I, I had my time. Like, why? Why do you want to talk to me? I had my time. Talk to the athletes. Just like that. He's no just really ego, old. eh? No ego. No. Yeah. But it's like that among all the athletes that I've encountered there. It's just that's just the way they are, and yeah. it's really nice to see. How did you get him over the line? You, you've got this um, notoriously yeah. shy, shy or private guy private, um, yeah. that wants the attention to be on his athletes. As he says, he's at his time. By the way, his time was um, steeplechase runner, right? That's correct. 3,000 meters steeplechase, and he won a couple of Olympic medals? <laughs> so he competed in the 1988 Olympics in Seoul and the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, and he was a silver medalist. And, you know, Kenya had a really strong lineage of steeplechase runners um, at the Olympics. They always did really well, but they had never swept the podium until 1992. And he coached himself. That's correct. Yes, he coached himself. Right. Well, he is a very good coach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so how did you get him over the line? Did you have to pester him? Did you have to wear him down? Did someone else do the work for you? I initially, well, we had a mutual contact, um, an athlete agent whom I had known for a couple of years. And so I talked to him on the phone for about an hour, and I said, I have this idea for a book. And he has known Coach Sang for, oh, gosh, I want to say at least a decade, right. maybe even closer to two decades. Um, my point is he knows him extremely well, and he said to me, I can't say that he'll agree to this idea, but I'll at least talk to him for you. And so he did that, and then after that conversation, whatever was part of that conversation, um, Coach Sang was willing to at least have me present the idea to him, which I did. So is that is that in person over the phone on Zoom? That was via email, and we def- we talked on the phone multiple times before we ultimately committed. But you know, like I said in the presentation, I was extremely organized with the whole um, with my proposal was fifty pages, which included ten, <laughs> wow. ten, ten chapter summaries. It's just the nature of the process when you um, pitch a book to a publisher. Right. You have to like 
pre-write part of the book, which is really hard. Um, but I knew the direction that I wanted to go, and it was really organized. So I basically had like a succinct um, outline that I presented to him that included uh, all the chapters that I had in mind, the order and the timeline as well. He and I would talk about things outside of running. and Like what? Education, politics. I think we talked about gun control, lack of gun control in the U.S., <laughs> things like that. But I actually, I mean, that those are the kind of conversations that I really like to have. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not all about running. Yeah. And, you know, that was, like, purposeful. And I knew pretty early that he was going to be really interesting to talk to. He's someone who can talk about any topic. You can tell he reads a lot of news as well. well He's so, very, very smart. So was it kind of, um, like, on your part, almost like a, like, a, like a date in a way? Like you're sort of schmoozing him to try and get him over the line? No, no? not at all. Not at all. So initially, um, you know, we went back and forth for several months, and he didn't commit until I think it was September I actually almost, I almost gave up because I didn't think that he would say yes because, you know, there was, like, a lot going on with, like, the uncertainty with the Olympics. And, yeah, it was just it was just all, like... Oh, this was around COVID time. That's true. Yeah, right, right, right. You did all that prep work, you know, the chapter outlines, the synopsis and whatever else, and it feels like there was more chance of it being a no than a yes. That's right. But, you know, <laughs> we had a conversation. Um, this was last year. And he was he, he did say, you know, I was testing you. And I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. good for you. So so you live in New York. Uh, just the juxtaposition, I guess, between New York and Kenya. It's literally worlds apart. So you go to Kenya. How long did you spend in Kenya? The first time I went for seven weeks. And then the second time was six months. Wow. And then I recently went back for two weeks. As well. Okay, so so tell us about Kenya. So your first time there in particular. So you fly there. You land in Nairobi. I landed in Nairobi yeah. because that's the that's the main international airport. And so Nairobi is actually it's about a seven hour drive to the Rift Valley, or you can take a domestic flight that's about an hour. Um, well, yeah, I mean it was the complete opposite of what I was used to but you know I like to think that I'm a pretty open-minded person and you know being a, a sports writer being um yeah being a journalist yeah I think it's it's part of your work is to be open-minded to experiences and so I was there to you know absorb and I was super happy to uh you know be experience something different I was really open to it what's Nairobi like is it just a, like a big established Chaos. city chaotic very chaotic, yeah. Noisy. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time there. More so like flying into the airport, yeah. maybe staying overnight for a second, and then um, going to Thrift Valley. It's not like I hung out there, so I can't like speak too deeply about my experience beyond the fact that it was just really loud and a lot of traffic. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. some parallels with New York. Then. A bit, yeah, <laughs> a bit, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so then, then you get to Rift Valley. What's what's that like? I imagine sort of like um, those sort of orangey clay dirt roads everywhere yeah. that we see. Is it yeah. kind of like that? Or is it sealed I, roads? Is it? Well, <laughs> one thing I really appreciated is how quiet it is. It's quiet. It's um, so where I was was really rural, and I was around a lot of um, small scale farmers. And yeah, like you said, the, there are a lot of dirt roads as well, and a lot of them are actually quite rocky. Um, and so I actually had a hard time running there. I what, do, what do you mean, like potholes and not potholes, but or? just like a lot of stones okay. that I wasn't used to, and so I felt like I couldn't really run smoothly unless I ran on on the tarmac. But um, so where I was, I was based in Eton which is a little town. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, home of distance running. And it was a really lovely environment. So the thing about Eton is that over the years, because it's become known as this mecca for training, a lot of my experience was a lot of um, elite European runners would come for a month up to three months at a time to train. And so as a result of that, it's become more westernized in a sense. Um, and by that I mean you, you have like more um, western style accommodation um juxtaposed next to um I, I i did see some local housing the one that i saw was basically one room which um didn't have running water um and so the woman that lived there she would kind of go around the corner to i think i saw like a it was like a pipe 
um, sticking out of the ground, and that's how she would gather her water. Um, you have to boil it, yeah, as well, to use it for cooking. What was, what was your accommodation like? Did they, did they put the New York girl in a, a flash place? No, I mean, the thing is, I'm not, like, super fancy. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know, I know. I know. By, yeah. I'm being cheeky. Um, I, so the first time I went, I actually stayed in a guest lodge, and that was really lovely because my view was of the Rift Valley. So I could, like, sit at a desk and I could look at it, and it was so hypnotic. It was so hypnotic and beautiful and quiet. And the sunrise, I would go back just to look at the sunrise. I mean, it's I've never seen sunrises like that in my life. What do, you, what do you mean in terms of the color? The colors. Or, it's yeah. just so intense. It's so intense. And also, interestingly, I read, I read about this in the book that there aren't really seasons in Kenya. You have, like, long rains and short rains. And so um, it was interesting to be – I mean, I've experienced it all. Like, when it rains, it rains. It's like – torrential downpour, don't want to step outside kind of <laughs> environment, which is actually becoming increasingly problematic because, um, you know, farmers, they don't know when to actually start planting. And so that affects like the food, you know, like, oh, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it, it's all related to global warming. And even Elliot has, has commented about this, that um, when it rains, it's like flooding all the crops and that's destroying so many things. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more of an issue. It's becoming um, the, the rains are being delayed um, more every year. So it's really serious. And we did we wow. definitely had a few discussions about that when I was in Kenya. Yeah. So from Eton, the training camp where Elliot and Patrick work, that's quite a drive away, right? It's uh, 45 minutes away in Captagat. And I didn't stay in Captagat in because it's not really set up to have people like me being there, it's 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 a really small area, and um, they don't really have other accommodation. It's just really local, yeah. So I would get up around four, four thirty um, to drive oh. there, which is okay. I mean, the thing is, I actually I looked forward to it because it was really exciting always to, to watch them train. So um, was it? Oh my god, yeah. yeah! It was a huge privilege. I I walked away from every training session feeling really grateful that I got to witness that because I knew that was really unique. I was in a pretty unique situation because not many people get to do that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But you you think it's one of those things where yeah, the first time it's impressive, and then after a while, it's like no, never got old. Never, yeah. never. If you just watch their strides, I mean, it's it's poetic. It's so smooth and and long and beautiful and that's really hard to do and when you add how fast they're running like that it's just really mind-blowing and the environment it's so scenic it's just mind-blowing at the time they were running on um, a dirt track that was built um, that was constructed during the pandemic and so it's just right next to just right outside um, the dorms right like a 400 meter track uh, 300, it's shy of 400 meters. Right. I think it was like mismeasures. <laughs> I, was told, I was told it was 380. Yeah. Oh, so you go there, you think you're doing a really good 400 time and it's actually a little short. Yeah. Um, so what's the um, what's the accommodation like? So I, I only um, did like a brief tour. So I can only speak to like one of the rooms that I saw. It's basically kind of like, um, like a dorm room at a college. It's like that. Yeah. Like how many? Two beds in the one you saw or four two beds, beds? Two beds, yeah. Um, I know that Jeffrey Kemawar and Elliot have their own rooms. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's just small and, and simple and basic and it has everything that you need. Because, mm. yeah. I mean, we're recording this in Boston at the moment and Elliot's been staying at the, um, the Fairmont Hotel, which is just down the road from where we are. And I'm guessing his accommodation there is um, quite different to mm, his accommodation at, yeah. the, uh, at the dorm training camp. Well, yeah. I mean, Marginally nicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the hotel that he's staying in is quite fancy. I think yeah, it's like a four, four star hotel. Never seen so much brass in all my life. Yeah. Brass, everything. But you know, Coach Sang was telling me that the idea was to initially to, to build something for developing athletes. I think the line in the book is develop something for developing athletes. It wasn't supposed to be what it has become. Um, but it seems to work. Mm. Who's to say that you need so much to be successful? Well, I mean, they're, they're proving that it's almost the opposite in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, ha- so how many, how many, how many live at this camp? How many athletes um, are there? A little over thirty. Right. Yeah. So Elliot's just like one of the one of the gang. One of the guys. Right. Yeah. No I mean, special treatment. No nothing. No. And I really appreciated seeing that because yeah, sure. would, one would think that he would be, you know, 
put up on some pedestal, but he's treated equally. He treats everyone equally, and it was really nice to see that. Um, and he's super reflective of his character. You know, like you can be a really successful athlete or person and still be humble. And I think that's a really important lesson for people to to learn and take away from the book. And also just if you have the opportunity to ever meet him, learn that too. Yeah, even though this book is about um, his coach first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how well do you know Elliot? Like if you, if you passed him in the lobby of the hotel, would he be like, hey, Sarah? Yes. Yes. So I actually had the opportunity. I was in Kenya in March and I had the opportunity to present Coach Sang a book, an early copy of the book. You know, there's a library at the training camp and that was so lovely. And I had a marker in my hand and Elliot, <laughs> he saw the marker. He was like, give me that. And he takes it and he opens the book and he signs it. He, I didn't even ask him. He just signed it. And it was, <laughs> is, yeah. that, is that what you wanted? You wanted him to sign it? I mean, I suppose well, yeah. I would have asked him, but like... I. I didn't, I mean, I was happy that he was excited. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So how does the training work? So they, they, they leave their family and they go there for the week. It's like work, right? It's like business yeah. time. So they leave their family. Is it Monday to Friday? Monday to Saturday? When do they Monday see their families? Monday through Saturday. Yeah. So Sunday is reserved for families and a lot of them go to church. Right. It's like that, yeah. But um, So then, is, that, is that just so there's no distractions so they can just concentrate on the running? Yes, and I yeah. get it. I get it. So what does a day look like for the athletes when they're training? So they get up before um, 6 a.m. Um, there is a bell in, I think it's the men's dormitory that gets rung and that wakes up everybody. And so it really depends. Like I mostly watched um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, that Tuesday is a track session and Thursday um, is usually a long run. Um, so I can only speak to those experiences. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so Thursdays, I know that they would leave around like 6 a.m. So I would be there um, by 6 a.m. And we would just follow the um, support van that um, Coach Sang and his support team um, ride in. And they hand out fluid bottles, or uh, I think, every 5K. I, I don't know um, what your um, training routine's like. But for me, when I do my long runs, if there's a water fountain, I'll stop and have a drink. Uh, if there's a nice sunrise, I might whip my phone out, take a couple of photos for Instagram later on, uh, at bathroom breaks, whatever. You know, a, a, a run can be maybe 20 or 30 minutes longer than what it needs to be. It's certainly not like that. You know, it's, it's still really calculated. Um, I do run with water, but you have to also consider how fast they're running, and they definitely need, <laughs> need the hydration. If you're running um, sub five minute miles, we go by minute miles, but you go by kilometer. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's probably like just over threes. It's extremely three fast. Yeah, three minute case. It's extremely fast. Yeah. So yeah, you need to you need to hydrate. You know, I suppose the point I was making is like that they're, they're not fucking around. Excuse no. my French. It's no. like um, it's, and do they have do they have like watches on? Are they, are they watching their wrist? I'm, I'm a slave to my wrist. Yeah, yeah. I, def- I definitely saw athletes with watches on, but they aren't messing around. They are quite serious. You know, at the end of the day, it is their profession. And it is like, like you would go to an office and you would sit down at your desk and do your work. It's like that, but they're running. Mm. Um, and the thing that really stood out to me when they train is that they don't, they're not like running along in conversation how's your day been? Or they're not like catching up or gossiping. It's not like that at all. It's not like conversational. Um, They're silent. They're silent and they're focused. And even after they finished um, a training session, it was more like, good job, fist bumps. Not like what I often see in the US or Europe where people are like, rah, rah, like, you go, girl. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, people can be really enthusiastic and you can do it. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't like that at all. It was more like, good job, fist bump. Let's go have some chai. So that's first thing in the morning. So they eat before they run? No, they run fasted. Yeah. Hmm. It's just, um, I think it's quite normal from what I understand based on conversations with local runners in Eton as well. It's just kind of normal. Maybe they have like a little bit of bread, but um, it's normal. Yeah, so y- yesterday morning, uh, the morning of the Boston Marathon, what would Elliot have eaten before the run? Oh, well, I'm... I, On race day, was it the same? Or? Yeah, I can't really speak to that because yeah. I haven't asked him about his pre-race breakfast, but I can speak to... Um, <laughs> You know, just having interviewed Emmanuel Mutai, um, who was at one point like the fourth fastest runner, he, I think he told me that he just would have some bread. I, I personally can't run a marathon yeah. on just like a piece of bread, but that's just me. 
Imagine. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I need some porridge or a yeah. banana or something. Yeah. I think it also, like, speaks to the theme of, like, how simple things things can be. Like, I think um, particularly in the U.S. and Europe, runners can – they can overcomplicate the whole, like, idea of running, like, needing, like – certain fabric in their kit or like the latest watch and like x y and z supplements um but do you really need all that absolutely not yeah i mean you wander around any race expo eh? and the amount of like accessories and knickknacks and gadgets you can buy it's phenomenal it's overwhelming it's phenomenal you you think the technology that we have on our our wrist now and i say you and i and yeah most of the thirty thousand people out there yesterday it's more technology than what patrick would have had when he was at the peak of his Mm -hmm. athletic career in the late 80s early 90s i don't wear a watch anymore what about Strava? Um, so I actually. What's, well, the I, po- what's the point of running if you're not going to put it on Strava? I had a <laughs> I had a Tom Tom and um, I used to race with it, but I think it got water damaged from running in the rain too much, and I just kind of tossed it. I threw it away, and I thought about getting another one. But to be honest, I think wearing a watch gives me anxiety because I can't help but like look at it all the time, and then it kind of makes me feel a certain way. And I just kind of want to be like a little bit more free when I run. Mm. Of course, like I won't do that for the rest of my life. Like I do want to train for the Berlin Marathon um, later this year, and I will need a watch at some point, I think. But for now, I'm really happy. It's good for my mental health. Not to have a watch on and to be obsessed about it. How many marathons have you done? I've run 14 marathons. 14. Awesome. And you're quite good, eh? Like your best time is like 326. 326. Yeah. yeah. You did your research. I've done my research. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, because I read this in an interview somewhere and you didn't do any sort of formal speed work or anything for it. Yeah. So. That's a great time. No, That's I like mean, five minute K pace. I can definitely run faster than 326. Um, the thing about speed training, which I like, I hate to admit it, but I did run in high school and college. And so like I've definitely had my share of track workouts. I don't know. I think I just have like this like post-traumatic stress uh, around like track workouts um, because it's different when you do it in like a collegiate setting versus like in your adult life and you become a runner and like maybe it's a little more fun. Um, But I think for Berlin, I know that I will have to integrate more speed because I would aim for a PR yeah. Yeah, and after after spending all this time um, surrounded by greatness in mm-hmm. Kenya, like, is there anything that you can implement in your training now, or anything you can do differently? What sort of time do you think uh, you could get down to yourself if you implemented some of the stuff you've learned? Oh, I definitely think I could run a three twenty or a little bit faster. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I think maybe more so. I want to focus on the mental component. Because uh, I think that's something that runners can kind of struggle with. There's a saying that I'm sure you've heard where the mind goes, the body goes. And I just want to focus more on that because I think once you let one little idea or thought slip into your head, it can really make you unravel. And I have a story um, of a training session that I watched. This was December 21. So I talked about this the other day, but there was an 800 meter specialist who took part in this long run. It was like a 40K run around Captagat. And I have never seen an 800-meter runner do a long run like that. And so he did the run, and I remember the pace would have been the equivalent of running like a three-hour marathon, which I thought was really impressive. <laughs> For that you an 800-meter like runner, that's amazing. Casually just go out and do that. And I've never forgotten about that, and I've actually I've I've thought about that a bit. Um, so I did train for I, w- I was hoping to do two marathons last year, Berlin and New York, but um, unfortunately I got a leg strain, so that put me out, and I had to drop out of the race. But anyway, um, I was just kind of thinking about like the mental component, about how you can really push through um, things that are really difficult or feel really difficult. Like if he can do a 40K run casually, you know, you have to ask yourself, how hard is this workout really? Yeah. yeah. So when, for most people, when they think, um, when the mind is telling them they're ready to give up, you're actually not even close. Yeah. 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 There's actually a quote that I um, put in the book from Coach Sang about, um, you know, he, he says that I think uh, that the mental component of sport should be studied more. And he said that if you use your mind right, correctly, you can get, I think he even said like 20% more out of your performance. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So, so what happened to you in Berlin? You, you were in Berlin last year. You mentioned this. Um, yes. Oh, I, read, no, I read this in an interview. So you um, had given Coach Sang. By the way, I noticed you call him Coach Sang. You don't call him Patrick? 
I don't call him Patrick. No, I actually I, call him Mr. Sang or Coach. But do, do, I, I don't do, call him Patrick. No, I, I don't. He, I, he never said, please call me. I mean, he'll, like, sign off Patrick, but, you know, I do it out of respect. Right. And I've never heard anyone call him Patrick besides Elliot. Even the athletes call him coach. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. funny. Like, we were like, we were having an interview, and he, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. I was, you're the only one who I've heard say Patrick and not coach. And even, um, I don't know, just everyone that I was around um, in Kenya, coach. They call him coach. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't feel like I can call him Patrick. Just out of respect. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, um, yeah, where I was going with that. So you, you were in Berlin last year and you uh, gave him a draft of the book or you'd given him a draft of the book and, and he made a, like, just a sort of throwaway comment to you about how his sons read it. They didn't like, sort of recognise the person that they were yeah. reading about. How cool is that? That is so special. Well, I was surprised to hear that. So what happened was um, my, my, the first draft of my manuscript was due at the end of July and all along, I wasn't sharing excerpts with him because I just felt it was too raw and I wanted to give him um, a draft in full. And so when I submitted it to my publisher, I also submit, I gave him a copy via Google Docs and he had um, requested that I share it with um, both of his sons. And... Um, so like a couple of months go by and he, you know, he didn't like give me any feedback. And so I was thinking like, oh my God, I have no idea if he likes it. And so when we were in Berlin, um, we met up briefly. And so I asked him, I was like, so what did you think? <laughs> and he said, it's really nice writing. And um, that one of his sons joked, um, he read it and he was like, who is my father? <laughs> oh, that is cool, eh? Yeah, it was surprising. That's really neat. Yeah, but that also speaks to, you know, like I said before, he is um, more of a private person, so, yeah, I guess really private. Oh, you, you also tell a story in the book, which is um, amazing, I've never heard this before, about how him and Ali had got together. Mm-hmm. After pa- Patrick was um, still competing as a steeplechase runner at this time, or no? He was coaching at the time, yeah. and so what happened is the story is that Elliot—he was um, a teen. He was in his teens, and he was aware of Coach Sang from a really early age. You know, I talk about in the book that he watched him actually compete in the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. He was watching him on TV, um, and they're from the same area, Cap Sasiwa. And so um, they, he had always kind of known about him. Because I suppose um, Coach Sang was a big deal in town, like he, a ce- local celebrity. I don't know if I would use the word celebrity because, mm. like, ce- like celebrity is not really – it's not really like a concept there. So, <laughs> no, so, you, know, you know what I mean, though? Well-known, like, oh, there's the guy that won the medals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they know him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he saw him coaching one day on a, on a field and just approached him. And um, he asked him if he could help train him. And the story so what that was, I put what, what was Elliot doing at the time? Was he just like running on his own? I think or? so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the, the story is, I put this in the book that he he walked up to him and he, he asked him. And Coach Sang went to his car to look for a piece of paper and a pen to like write down um, a program, but he couldn't find it. And so he just got a stick and he wrote down. I think it was like ten or eleven days, a ten day program. Um, and then he advised him to rest on the 11th day. And so, like, Elliot, he, like, takes this information <laughs> and he runs home. And he, he like, into his arm. Yeah. And he writes it down <laughs> immediately. And um, I, I put a little note in, in the book that Elliot, he writes down every single workout. And he has many notebooks. I think, like, 18, probably more than 18 at this point. Um, but that's how it started. 
that's how he started keeping a notebook and logging all of his um, workouts. It's just such a cool story about the stick and edging yeah. it into his arm. And it was a real simple program, right? It's just something like run 10 days, then have a day off. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't know like the the, the nature of every workout um, as part mm. of that program, but I would be curious to see the first notebook to see like what was part of it because I, I didn't I actually didn't ask him about that I should have maybe um, in the future yeah, the but sequel, I, I do, the I sequel. Do, yeah, yeah 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 I do I definitely want to see some of those notebooks is, is that something you'd consider in the future like being um, the biographer for Elliot Kipchoge oh my god yeah. that's like a huge responsibility I'm not sure I'm the right person to do it but I would love to have an opportunity to profile him specifically more in depth yeah so speaking of that some, another thing you bring up in your book is um uh, this is very early on, at the, at the beginning actually, the defeat at the uh, 2020 London Marathon, which is a rare defeat for Elliot Kipchoge. And it turns out there was some air issue. Mm-hmm. We're recording this the day after the Boston Marathon where, um, by Kipchoge standards, he had a terrible run. And I say terrible run, still finished sixth. Um, still finished in what, 209? And his final kilometre was faster than what I could ever dream of running in my life. It was mm-hmm. still an amazing run. Any like debrief or any idea what happened? So, no, actually, I don't know. Um, and I was in the press room um, after the race. There were um, a few press conferences, um, and he was not part of the main press conference with the elite men. And we were told that um, they were waiting on a time when he would be available for media. As far as I know, um, that didn't happen. I ended up leaving um, late afternoon because we just had no information. Um, so I don't, I don't quite know. Yeah. I can't, I can't really speak to that. I, I thought just, I read somewhere that he um, finished and then went into one of the medical tents. I don't know. Yeah. I, I only saw him walking um, into the hotel, but um, he got into the elevator right away, and um, I assume just went up to his room. So I can't really speak to that, yeah. but I just know I, he was with his team. So Peter, who is his physio, um, his manager, and I saw a coach saying as well. But you know, like it was basically like, you know, they just went to the elevator. So I, I, I yeah, I'm sure I'm, they I'm weren't feeling sure. great. Knowing knowing what you know and have having been a fly on the wall for so many intimate moments with them, like what do you think? Um, like what do you think the feeling would have been like after the run yesterday? Do they bounce back? Bounce back pretty quickly in terms of attitude, or like would would Elliot be down in the dumps for a while? Would Patrick be sort of like look, looking under the bonnet to try and figure out what went wrong? I think like any runner who has run a race that doesn't go. As they envision, you're, oh, that happens you're, you're, to all of us, right? You're, you're very disappointed, yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, like we're all human, mm. and so we can't fault him. I was reading so many media headlines um, yesterday and this morning, and they're they're cruel. Yeah, there was one in particular that was like, um, "Can he win the Olympics?" Because because he didn't manage to win Boston. It was like t- something to that effect. I thought that that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> oh, come like, on, it's pathetic. Yeah, and the thing is, like. Uh, we're all allowed to have a race that doesn't go as planned. Like, we're not perfect. And I think it's really important to, you know, like, give him some breathing room. Yeah. And he, he finished. He didn't pull out. He could have, he could have very easily pulled yeah, out. A lot, of these elites, uh, a lot of these elites do that. Like, when the writing's on the wall that it's not their day, they just pull out and save their body or whatever. Yeah, but, um, well, he, that's really good sportsmanship. Yeah, and really I, was, um, I was about four in a crowd four or five deep on the main street as he was approaching the finish line and the cheer that he got three or four minutes after the after the winners was just as loud if not louder yeah that's the um, that's the sort of like respect he has around here definitely I mean yeah. I think we can still respect his performance he did finish six and he ran a total mm. nine and most people in the world never come close to running yeah. that time but with regard to your question about do they bounce back so I had asked him you know, about his London experience when I was in Kenya. And he did say, he uses the analogy of grabbing a higher branch. So think of like climbing up a tree and you're grabbing another branch. You kind of just have to eventually like let it go. Mm. Um, and he used this, um, he explained to me, you know, um, and I put this in the book, a UFC fighter is training every single day and he'll be knocked out like that. And he has to get back up, and he has to keep training. It's yeah. like that; like you have to, you have to let it go. Uh, not, it's, it's not. It's not to say that it's not going to hurt. It's not going to be disappointing, but that's not going to be his last race. And is he? He must be quite resilient. Of course. Yeah. 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 yeah everyone around him um, speaks to how mentally, mentally tough he is, and that really stands out. Like I, they really admire how he's so strong mentally. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem to have changed at all, um, despite the fame that he's um, sort of got, I suppose, since the Breaking 2 thing a couple of years ago. Even before that, yeah. though, I was told that he's always been mentally tough. No, but I'm, I'm thinking like the um, just the, the trappings uh, that have come with his success and the financial reward and stuff. So it doesn't appear that anything's sort of changed. No, and actually some of the athletes at the camp, they commented on that. He's the same. They've known him for many years, and he's the same. Has his own room now, though, but... Yeah, yeah. I think it's lovely that, like I said earlier, that you can be successful and not have it change you or, you know, change your attitude in in a way that you just have a heavy ego, but he doesn't seem to have a heavy ego, and I think that's really lovely. I think that's Mm. something that we can all learn from. Yeah. So, um, back to the camp. So, they run in the morning. By the way, I I thought I read somewhere online that, that Elliot runs like 20 miles most days. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like over like a hundred. I think I read in, in a Runner's World article recently that he runs 140, 120, oh, 140. Yeah. But, you know, I think it depends on, you know, what phase they are in. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And what were you asking about the camp? So they run in the morning. Then then what? Um, they, they eat? They, they sleep? Yeah. So then they will have breakfast. Um, I know that they relax a bit, but they he will take a nap. Um, and there is usually some kind of... Um, work out in the afternoon yeah so often it's pretty common to train twice a day but that's not unique to the camp that's actually you know that's how that's what I witnessed too when I was in Eton people train twice a day then it's like dinner time and sleep again or yeah but you also have to consider I mean you're putting your body through so much so like you need to you need to rest and even though it is running it's still like that's a lot of work yeah. It's an insight into how the Kenyans are so fucking good. Like, everyone's yeah. asked for years and years what makes them good. Like, is it a genetic thing? Is it something else? But it's like, if that's what your life is, if it's um, sleep, work out, sleep, work out, sleep, repeat, you're going to be good, right? Well, <laughs> there's there's plenty of information out there that it is partly genetic, too. And, you know, right. where they are training is high altitude, and high altitude works. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so how did you find that? You do some running when you're in Kenya? Of course, yeah. I run pretty consistently five days a week. Um, when I was there, I was running um, not always 50 miles a week, but pretty close to it. Um, and I found it to be really, really difficult because... In terms of the breathing? or In terms of the breathing, but also it's quite hilly. I wasn't anticipating it to be as hilly as it was. It's like the hills have hills. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's no joke. Like, I just, I felt like I was chasing getting into shape. I felt like I could never, like, feel comfortable with my lungs. But, hey, when I, after I left that environment and I was back in the U.S., I would just pop out 10 miles, 12 miles. I went on, like, an 18-mile run, like, just to do it, and it was easy. Um, Oh, that's interesting. As a result of the altitude training over there. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Yeah, I think so. And did you, who, who did you run with over there? Mostly, well, the way that my schedule is set up, I run quite a bit on my own. It's only when I'm training for something that I will join a group. Um, yeah, so there were a few occasions that I would run with a group, but I like to run in the morning just to kind of um, like get it done and have the rest of the day to do my work and whatever. Yeah. Let's focus on you for a little bit. So how, how does a girl from Hawaii end up, end up in New York writing for USA Today, yeah, yeah. New York Times, ESPN? Yeah. Uh, Runner's World, Vice Sport, Men's Health. So I didn't move from Hawaii to New York. I moved from Hawaii to Maryland. I grew up in Maryland. Um, And New York, actually, I moved there in 2011 because I was hired by USA Today Sports Media. But prior to that, I lived in Cleveland for five years working at a magazine. It was a sports performance magazine. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like for a really long time that New York was a city that was meant for me because I tend to be hyperactive. um, And I think New York is really the best place to be if you are in media. Uh, And so I just felt like it was going to be a natural fit. And when I got there, it was was a really interesting experience because I was working for a really big company. Um, I was trying to adjust to this new city. What about your running journey? When did that start? I started running when I was 15, so actually it was in the middle of high school. Right. And the story about that is, um, well, I grew up I grew up a ballerina, and 
I actually wanted to be a prima ballerina, but, you know, I'm quite short. I'm only 5'2", so that was never going to work. Um, and then I switched to playing soccer, and I wanted to continue into high school, but I went to a really competitive high school, um, and I just didn't really have a chance. And it was one of those situations where you know your lane. <laughs> you know your lane, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 stay yeah. in your lane. Oh, my God. I, I gave up TV sport when I was like 13 or 14 for the same reason. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was like rugby in New Zealand and cricket. Yeah. And I was shit at both of them, and I felt like I was letting my teammates down. So I was like, that's cool. I'll just join the Harriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do an individual sport. Yeah. <laughs> So it was like actually my sophomore year of high school when I tried out for the track team and um, I was cut. But in my defense, the, the coach was, he was an Olympian and the team went to state. They were so talented. So it was, yeah, I didn't really have a chance. But anyway, he had told me, he was like, why don't you just come out for the cross country team? Because no one gets cut from that. So I did. <laughs> so um, what happened was I actually ended up moving from Maryland to Ohio and I was planning on running cross country um, anyway, so I just I just joined the team when I moved to Ohio, and I stuck with it. So that's really how I got into running. I've been doing it for a really long time. Amazing. And what was your first marathon? My first marathon was Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon, and I did it when I was 19, so I was still in college. I did it with a teammate, and we were just curious about the distance, and we didn't tell our coach that we were training for it. Yeah, and it was really difficult. I actually hated running. Um, that experience, um, I just, yeah, I did not want to run for a really long time after that. It really hurt. But, you know, I think the thing with the marathon is the more that you do it, the more obviously your body gets used to it and it doesn't hurt so much. So I'm out, now I'm at a point where I can run 23 miles and then I, that's when I start to feel it. Yeah. But also you have to train really well. So I learned how to, you know, be really dedicated. To yeah, well, absolutely. And if you're doing 50 miles a week, it seems like you are training very well. Yeah. All right. There was an article online that you've, you've written recently for Runner's World, Five Ways Any Runner Can Train Like Elliot. Mm. Yeah, and there, there was a paywall, so I couldn't read it. So. Oh, okay. I didn't <laughs> well, know can, that was out yet. Can, yeah. you, can you remember what they are? So they were actually not running related. It was more like sleep, um, the mental component. I talked about meditation. He doesn't like meditate in the sense that we, we think about meditation because I think he's just like naturally mentally tough. Um, let's see. It was sleep, uh, meditation, um, cross training. So, you know, at the camp, they have, um, they take ice baths for up to 10 minutes. So I talk about that. And the other component was, um, using cycling to cross train so he is actually quite into biking is he yeah like a stationary bike a stationary right. bike but you know like the story is he would cycle around um his village um collecting and delivering milk so that's that's in his body like that's mm. in his legs but now i believe i was told that he has a stationary bike in his room and he will cycle i want to say it's like i don't remember what i put in there like an hour as like part of his recovery. God, there's so much exercise going on. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> Crazy amount. What's Kipchoge like? Like, is he is he a joker? Like, do you have a laugh with him? I think he is serious. I think he does have a sense of humor. I think he's really calm. I think he's really modest. He's really humble. Just what you what you see is what you get. That is very true. And actually. I think I put this in the book. He talks about how important it is to have the same face everywhere you go, no matter like the who same you're, face everywhere you go. The same face, right? As in like the same personality, the same character everywhere you go, and it doesn't matter if you're in like an environment like this. Like he's still like humble and and kind and, and generous, and yeah, no matter where you go, no matter who you're around, be the same person. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever seen him get um, you know, frustrated or angry or anything? Especially, especially, I'm guessing in environments like this where I don't know, maybe he feels a little bit claustrophobic or congested. I mean, there's yeah, a lot of demands on him and a lot of people that want um, some of his time. I guess I can't speak to seeing him get bent out of sh shape, so to speak. Um, that's not to say that maybe he doesn't feel that way <laughs> does it at times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but well, is that a human, right? Yeah, sure. But I've never seen him be yeah. negatively reactive in any way. Yeah. He's actually quite respectful from what I've seen. 
Sorry, I've got so many questions about him, but uh, he's, I keep saying to non-running people, you can't appreciate just what this guy has done for the sport. You know, he's just completely rewritten the rules. Like the fact that he's only lost a, now two races or whatever in his career, it's it nuts. Absolutely yeah. nuts. It's insane. Yeah, it is. It's impressive. You're beyond impressive. It's something that's never going to be repeated. I'm getting goosebumps just um, talking about it. Once in a generation athlete. Yeah, yes. yeah. And you've got to experience the whole damn thing. Part of it. I mean, I saw like snippets here and there. Yeah, but you've seen more than what any of us will ever get to see, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so you feel like you've got a special connection with Kenya now? I actually told Coach saying that Kenya is somewhere I want to go to, you know, visit for the rest of my life. I think it's really special. And I think it would be quite lovely to maybe have like a little house and go there from time to time to, to write. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. The, the nature, the people, the different cultures. You know, Kenya is made, of, um, made up of about 40, 42 different ethnic groups. And it's, it's all, um, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in everyone. All the tribes, they, they are very different. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a really unique uh, environment to be immersed in. And I would love to go back and explore more. You know, there's like the whole coast, yeah. Lamu, which has yeah. like a surfing culture, which I didn't even know that Kenya had a surfing culture. Um, I've only been to Masai Mara once, and that was for just two days, and I would love to go back and explore more of that. And, of course, you know, Kenya has a lot of really incredible coffee farms. I did see one. Um, there are so many tea plantations there that are really beautiful. I went to Kericho, which is, like, the main area for tea. There's just a lot to do. There's a lot to do. Yeah. If you like nature, then you'll really appreciate it. So the book's out now, uh, We Share the Sun, mm-hmm. your first ever book. First of all, tell me about that experience when the uh, when when the envelope first arrives and you get to see you, you, you know your book in the hard copy for the very first time. After I'm guessing going backwards and forwards with manuscripts for months, special occasion, just the this, smell of the book and the course, look of yeah. it. So I had like a box with me and I brought it over to my friend's um, apartment and I opened it. We opened it together because he actually. My friend Jason Suarez is a really talented sports photographer, and he's been to the camp, so he knows he knows Elliot as well and Coach Sang. And so um, we opened it together. So that was really special to have that moment with a friend who like understands a little bit of what I experienced because he also experienced it as well. It was lovely. I mean, I think my eyes welled up. Sure, definitely. Well, it represents a lot of work. Like yeah. a lot of work goes into that moment, hey, and then you get to see it. Definitely. See it in real life. It's a, it's yeah. a cool thing. I mean, the whole process was uh, nearly three years from, you know, when the literary agent first reached out to me in 2020 to the research, the writing, and then like uh, going through the editing process, which was like several months to printing as well so just the fact that it was almost three years yeah I was I definitely appreciated having something tangible what is success going to look like in terms of numbers how many how many do we oh. need to sell to get to get it on the bestseller list <laughs> I I'm, don't know. A, I'm from New Zealand and yeah. I've uh, written a couple of books and bestseller level in New Zealand is five to seven thousand copies okay so. <laughs> well I, I for sure hope to exceed that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I can't really speak to numbers because um, I'm not like in charge of that um, so I, I don't have anything to offer in terms of how the book is doing but I will say on Amazon in the US it is ranked number one in the track and field category so who's, yeah. the, who's behind it? I don't know but I know that my Kindle version is number three <laughs> so the book is the hardcover book is number one yeah. and then the Kindle I think is number three um, and then among bestsellers, I'm currently under Born to Run at number two. I think Born to Run is always going to be number one if I could ever like get to that uh, spot. Yeah, Born to Run by um, Chris McDougall. That's right. Yeah, uh, that, that, was, um, that has been my favorite running book of all mm-hmm. time. But um, as I said to you before we started recording, um, I've just started reading your book. And I've got a feeling it's going to replace it. That's it's a big call, eh? Big call. A lot, yeah. It's different. <laughs> it's a I mean, lot of pressure. Yeah, I'm surprised that you didn't ask me about the opening section. Oh, what but in particular? This, this, this part, how um, this came to be, if you, if you had a chance to read this. Oh, no, it's in italics. Yeah. Do you want to read it for? <laughs> well, actually, do you want to read it? You're the author. <laughs> sure, 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 I can do that. <laughs> Life at altitude is quiet, full of hills. Sheeps scattered along the roads and children in tattered secondhand shirts waving. Sunshine and dry grass, 
hungry cattle with protruding ribs, fewer liters of milk as a consequence, auburn-colored dirt coating every pair of shoes, plastic bottles and other recyclables that go nowhere else but on the ground, or burned remnants floating into the air, buckets of cold water and bars of soap next to a mound of clothes, overcrowded matatus with customers sitting on laps, braids and braiders, varieties of mango exotic to the rest of the world, mosquitoes, the non-malaria kind, and runners, the serious kind, ones that don't run for pleasure but for profession, training in silence, free of headphones, no photo ops, somewhere, a young boy stands alone and sees this as a way to live. Yeah. So how good is that? <laughs> yeah. So what happened was this actually what it started out as a postcard to a friend. It was like a, a Sunday when I was in Eton and I had like an extra. I like to write letters. I handwrite letters still. I've always done that in my entire life. And I had one more postcard left and I basically like said on social media, who wants this? And my, one of my friends from Germany wrote back, and he was like, send it to me. And so, you know, a postcard you have about, you can write about five sentences, right? And so I was thinking, if I'm going to send you a letter from Kenya, then I want it to be meaningful in some way. <laughs> something that you can keep and save. Yeah, but also <laughs> like give you a little bit of an understanding of what my life is like. And so I started writing it, and um, it was... Very, it was similar to that. Of course, I finessed it more. And after I wrote it, I was like, I want to use this somehow, but I don't know where. And I ended up putting it into um, one, like, uh, toward the back of the book um, when I was writing my draft. It didn't really, the placement didn't really fit. And so my friend actually convinced me to put it up front because it provides context to um, the area. And actually, I had showed it to Elliot when I was in Kenya um, in March, and he read it. He was like, yeah, this is Kenya. This is Kenya. Yeah, this is Kenya. And I, I love the end line too because I suppose it's like, um, yeah, like generational. That's just what happens. I suppose young kids see, like for Elliot it was Patrick at the mm. Olympics, I guess, as a steeplechase runner. And then there'll be kids now that look at Elliot and the others. And Yeah. Is, is that sort of what it is for um, like young young Kenyans? Like they, they see it as like a way out, like, a, like a, a lotto ticket potentially if you can win, if you can be a successful runner. They see it In as... A way. Um, a potential path to a a potential career path. Yeah, it used to not be like that. And I actually, I mentioned that um, in the book, Coach Sang was saying like it, you know, back in the day, there wasn't money in running. Now there is money in running. And so people view that as a potential opportunity. (laughs) The most successful people in Kenya, what would they, what would they do generally? What would the career path be? Or how, how can you make a lucrative living over there outside of sport? Coach Sang was saying back in his day, you had just a few options. You could become a teacher or you could join the, the police force. Um, and that was, that was basically... <laughs> a teacher or a cop. Well, I suppose he's become a teacher in a way, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, I, I said that. You're like a professor, professor of life. He joked, professor of life. It's like that. You know, I can't really speak to other opportunities, yeah. just that people certainly view running um, in a, a more intense way than what we might view it as. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to ask you. So, Elliot doesn't know his father. His father passed away before he was born. In some ways, that makes like Patrick more of a like a father figure to him in a way, the dad that he that he never had. Even Coach Sang says in the book that Elliot is like his son. Yeah. And Elliot had told me that he doesn't think he would be where he is in running and in life if it wasn't for Coach Sang. You know, he referenced him in, as, a, as a life coach. And he says, you know, if I were to put everything into one cup, um, running-related, business-related, you know, life, I don't have a word to describe what his impact has meant to me. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's really special. Yeah, that life coach thing, that sort of comes up a few times um, in, in, in your book. It seems like that's how um, Coach Sang coaches all his athletes. For sure. You can say, you know, not every coach is like that. Not every coach is um, mindful in that way to want to teach athletes outside of the sport. Yeah. By, by the way, in the Western world, when you know, how would you describe a life coach? I do know of a life coach, and she, she's more so someone who helps you, like, find, like, figure out, like, your path. Yeah, yeah. your purpose and your goals yeah. and things. Yes, yes. But, but a coach saying it's kind of, is he the same sort of thing, or 
different in terms of his I mean, definition of life coach? I think a little bit different. So, you know, like one of the things <clears throat> that he likes to teach his athletes is about finances. Um, and he had commented to me that one thing that he wanted to do um, at the camp is to start an investment club which I think is really unique. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, his background is economics and he spent a lot of time in Switzerland. So that actually kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I also think it's a really good idea because if you're an athlete and you've never really had much experience dealing with like how to budget or like if you win a race and you have, you know, you, you come into money, like how do you know what to do with it? So. Oh, yeah, some very important life skills here. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise, the the chance of um, ending up broke is highly likely. I think you it's really it all over the world. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, he hasn't started the club, but he did comment to me um, last year that that was one thing that he has always wanted to do. But anyway, for, for, for in, in, in that regard, I do think it's interesting wanting to teach athletes about finances. Um, but apart from that, also just this idea of giving back to your community is super important. And I can't say that, you know, not every coach is adamant about, you know, you know, watching out for other people, but he is, he is like his athletes, they watch out for those in their community. And there are two athletes in particular who specifically told me, you know, when they travel for a race, they will come back with extra gear to give back to local runners. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't ask me about the title yet. What? Oh, I... Okay, so the title is We Share the Sun, which is not meant to be uh, a literal interpretation by any means, even though I think people will like assume that. But We Share the Sun, it's, um, it relates to this phrase that I learned in Swahili. Um, I'm going to butcher it. Tunagawana, jua. Jua means sun. And when I think of the title... I, I, I want people to like ruminate about it and, and, and consider what it means because there are so many layers to the meaning mm. um, that could have like a whole separate conversation. But I, I think the easiest way to put it is, you know, the concept of Ubuntu and, you know, purpose of humanity. And we're all here not to be like too philosophical, but we're all here together. And I think it's important to watch out for everyone around you. And it's not just... Um, it's not just about you. Mm. Yeah, I think it's important. You can be, you can want to be successful and, and chase success, but like lift people up um, on your on your journey. You know what I thought it meant? I had no idea it meant that. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it meant um, we share the sun as in, um, even though Patrick's in the shadow of Elliot Kipchoge, mm-hmm. um, they, they're sharing the, the same sun or same spotlight if you want. And I felt like this book was your way. Oh, okay. That's an interesting interpretation. Of- yeah, have you heard that before? Or no? I've never heard that. That's what I—that's legit what I thought it meant. It's like giving Patrick's coach saying, "Coach mm-hmm. saying the spotlight," mm-hmm. which is something he's not had before. Thus, sharing the yeah. sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like mean, mine. I, I'm, it could be. An I'm going with mine. I reckon mine's interpretation. What was your What was your working title? Was it always going to be "We Share the Sun"? No, or did my you? working title was actually something really generic. Uh, it was making champions. Which you know, could be applied to like could be applied to like any. No, I'm really really glad that I changed it. I'm really glad. So uh, the reason why I changed it was when I first heard this phrase. I was in Kenya and I, I made a note in my phone and I thought, God, that's so good. I need to use that somehow. And I had a conversation with a friend who used to be in book publishing and he now teaches creative writing. And he doesn't. He's not into sports. And he was thinking. He was like, Well, can you think a little bit more? Like, was there anything that you experienced? Um, while you were there that kind of like resonated with you and I was like well actually there's this phrase that I heard we shared the sun and he was like that's perfect you should make that your title yeah I didn't need much convincing because I was like you know what that is actually really lovely Mm, and unexpected it's unexpected for a sports book yeah no it it really is it really is and I'm um, pleasantly surprised that what I thought it meant was wrong Mm. hey everyone can have their own interpretation like I said (laughs) I want everybody to Think, think, think yeah, for just, themselves. Just as long as, as, long as you <laughs> interpret it any way you want, just buy the fucking book. And don't, don't loan it to your friend. Tell your friend to buy their own. That's what we want, eh? As many sales as possible. Hey, Sarah Gearhart, um, congratulations. This book is fantastic. I've got a 16-hour plane ride home, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to reading it on the plane. I, um, when I find a book that I 
that I really like and I really get into, I just want to I want to enjoy it and read it slowly mm-hmm. and process it and take it all in. And I feel like this is going to be one of those books and I can't wait to crack into it. I hope that you enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Tom Harvey. I genuinely do appreciate it. This episode is sponsored by Radix Nutrition, a small Waikato company doing big things and with big plans to take on the world when it comes to nutrition. Check them out, radix.co.nz. And if you like what you see, please support the legends that support this podcast. Uh, I genuinely mean this when I say this. This podcast would not be possible week in, week out um, without the support of legends like the team at Radix Nutrition. Radix.co.nz. If you have not done so already, please uh, rate the show if your podcast platform allows, like give it a five-star rating on Spotify or write a review on Apple if that's where you listen to it. And if you don't do so already, please subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified every time there is a brand new episode. Um, Yeah, I think that will do it for now. Thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. And I do hope to see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 